When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where you go, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father, so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, you have called us aside from a time of busyness. For some of us, this season is a season of light and gladness and family memories. For others, this is a season of darkness, depression, and loneliness. And what we need more than anything is to have your light shine into our hearts. We need to hear your voice. Would you speak to us this morning? We pray it in your beautiful name. Amen. So the setting of our passage this morning uh, is in Jerusalem. And it's at the temple, and it's during what's called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was the final feast in a series of feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate uh, according to their law, according to the Torah that Moses had handed down to the people. They were to go and feast before the Lord. And this feast would typically last several days, and most of us, if, if we were there, we would probably recognize it as some sort of harvest gathering or harvest party. And yet, over the centuries the religious community in Israel had developed imagery that went along with this feast. And in the chapter just previous to this, Jesus plays on that imagery and tells the people that he is the living water. And the people were used to a priest coming down in the middle of this feast and drawing up water and calling on God to come and give the people life. It was a reminder 
of how God had provided water for his people in the desert. In the same way, in this feast, they would light candles in the temple. And so as Jesus makes this statement that he is the light of the world, he's saying it to people who are reminding themselves intentionally of the way God led their ancestors out of Egypt with a pillar of light. This is the context for the statements that Jesus makes in John chapter 8. And this morning, I would like to look at three things in this passage. Go figure. Three-point outline. And they're alliterated because Brian's back in town, so I'm stepping it up a notch. So this morning, I'd like to look at the claim made by Jesus, the corroboration that is demanded by the Pharisees, and the confusion that ensues. The claim, corroboration, and confusion. The claim that Jesus makes would have been moderately intelligible to most people in the ancient world. To, to say that you're light or the light of the world is, is to make a claim that you're associating yourself with divinity. And several religions in the ancient world had that understanding, and yet within his Jewish context, Jesus' claim is so much more than just saying, I'm associated with God. He is, he's digging into a tradition that is centuries and centuries old. All the way back at the beginning, in the, in the creation account that Moses wrote down for God's people, we see that God is the one who speaks light into being. He is the maker and creator of light. And as we continue to move throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, we see that as God brings his people out of Egypt, he is a pillar of light to them, leading them through the wilderness, guiding them to the land that he had promised to their forefathers. When we get into the, to the poetic literature of Scripture, the psalmist often refers to God as his light. And that's usually a direct euphemism for life itself. When the psalmist talks about God being his light, he's saying, you, you are the only thing that I have. The, all my dependence is on you. My whole life is wrapped up in you. And as we move into the prophetic literature of Scripture, especially in Isaiah, we see much more emphasis on the idea that Israel the people of God, was called to walk in the light of the Lord. Not only that, but they were called to reflect that light to the nations around them. And one of the most stinging reprimands of Isaiah to the people of Israel is that they had rejected the light of God and walked in darkness and had failed to be a light to the nations. And just as we saw last week, that Jesus is reenacting Israel's history, and he's showing himself to be the true Israel, he showed himself last week to be the true Exodus, the one in which salvation is found. So this week, we see him fulfilling the role that Israel had failed at so miserably, that of being the light to the world. And St. John, as he writes down these stories, he likes to use uh, words that have double meanings. He, he does a lot of wordplay in his writing. And in, in Jesus' declaration to be the light of the world, what Jesus and John are trying to get across are two Seemingly separate, but, but very much united things in Christ. And, and one of those is that Jesus is claiming to be God. Throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, God is the one who is seen as light. And Jesus' claim is crystal clear to his listeners. And his, his claim is like a double-edged dagger, because he's not only claiming to be their God, but he's claiming to embody the true mission of Israel, the mission that God had handed over to them, shining a light, into the darkness of the world. And he's basically kind of in a backwards way accusing them of failing and being that light. Now this twofold claim 
that Jesus is making actually makes this pretty similar to what we looked at last week. Even though light and bread don't really have anything to do with each other, um, he's, he's playing on this um, centuries-long religious tradition that people in Israel would have understood that when he says light, he's referring to himself as the peace of the world, the righteousness of the world, the justice of the world. He's claiming to be life itself. And what he's telling them when he says, I am the light of the world, is that salvation is found in me alone. And when we look later on at the confusion that ensues towards the end of this passage, we'll see more of just what Jesus means when he says, in effect, salvation is found in him. But before we can get to the confusion, we need to look at the reaction of the Pharisees. So here's Jesus. He's making this outlandish claim to be the light of the world. He's he's claiming to be Yahweh, the covenant-making God of Israel. The the Pharisees are are there. They already don't really like him, and so immediately they demand corroboration. Okay, if you're going to make crazy claims, you should at least have some sort of plan about how to back that up. And at first glance, we sort of should appreciate that demand, right? I mean, we don't typically want people walking around claiming to be God. We're usually going to call them on it. And it's not that we or the Pharisees are being conniving or necessarily um, difficult. It's just that this is the knee-jerk reaction of human existence. Prove it. Somebody makes a claim, the knee-jerk reaction of most of us is prove it. And in the previous chapter, John records for us the Pharisees' attempt to prove some things about Jesus. They had been searching through the scriptures and they knew that the prophet, the one, the Messiah, could never have come out of Galilee. In fact, the Old Testament is quite clear. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem, the town of David. And yet, according to Jesus' social records, he was from Galilee. So here the Pharisees are going about in a very human way trying to prove something about Jesus. Unfortunately, they didn't have all the facts. Jesus actually was born in Bethlehem. And once again, as he makes a claim, the Pharisees demand corroboration, and they demand that it be done in a way that would satisfy them as human beings. And though this is an understandable demand, okay, I can't stress enough, whatever we think about the Pharisees at this point, they're not making something outlandish here in requesting Jesus to corroborate his story. But we do have to, to take a look at, at their demand that Jesus corroborate his statements and say that there are a couple problems with it. And please know that this is not an apologetic argument meant to, to argue the existence of God in any way. But when we look at what the Pharisees are asking Jesus to do in corroborating his claim that he is the light of the world, there are a couple problems. And the first is this. When we make a demand for corroboration or for proof, we're assuming something about the world. We're assuming that falsehood pervades the world. And most of us here would say, well, yes, it does. So there's nothing new there. However, human claims filled with exaggeration, omission, downright dishonesty, which is why we have people in a courtroom swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because if everybody just told the truth, we wouldn't have to talk about it, right? We would just assume. But now we assume dishonesty. But here's the problem. If Jesus is God, 
which is what his claim is making him out to be, then it would be nonsensical to assume that his claim is false. Because God is consistent and full of truth. And not only is it, does it not really make sense to assume that God would lie, but how do you get God to have someone else corroborate his claim? If we're assuming that the world is full of falseness and that God is full of truth, who could we have from this world corroborate God's claims for us in a way that we would believe it? This is a problem. The second problem with the Pharisees' demand for corroboration is a little more difficult because Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world, which assumes that the world is full of darkness. Jesus is making an assumption that the people that he's surrounded by are spiritually blind. How could one go about corroborating a claim to be light in a way that would satisfy a blind person? Light and blindness are metaphors for a greater reality. And and the greater problem within reality is how can we expect God to corroborate his own existence? If God is God, the self-existent, eternal creator of all things, and we're us, limited, broken, blinded creatures, exactly what could he do to prove to us that he exists? It is impossible to prove to blind people that light is shining. The only recourse is to shine brightly and remove their blindness, heal them, and give them sight. And the quote that I put in in your bulletin this morning from Abraham Heschel is very helpful here when he says that God is not a hypothesis derived from logical assumptions, but an immediate insight, self-evident as light. He is not something to be sought in the darkness with the light of reason, He is the light. And as we heard already this morning in one of the lessons that John has already told us in the first chapter of his gospel, that Jesus, the light, has entered the world, and yet the world was so enshrouded in darkness that it could not understand the light. So Jesus demands, or responds rather, to this demand of corroboration by telling them that his Father is his witness, but they're too blind to see that he's referring to God. And the confusion that sets in just continues and continues. Jesus references his death and says that he'll be going to a place that his listeners can't get to on their own. And the people are so confused that they assume Jesus is talking about committing suicide. When he says, I'm going to a place you can't go, they assume he's saying, I'm going to hell, which is where they thought people that committed suicide were bound to go. They're so confused that they can't pick up on the fact that he's talking about something totally different even though he is talking about his own death. The meaning is so far gone from their minds that they don't even understand that in a few days, they will be the ones crying out for his murder. In response to this confusion, Jesus reminds them of the core of his message. And it's a message about death, darkness, and disbelief, faith, light, and life. In him alone is life and light. Jesus' claim here is very exclusive. And so I'm sorry to say, but a lot of the quotes that I put in our bulletin this morning that seem like they really make a lot of sense and resonate with us. Oprah, let your light shine. Shine within you so that it can shine on someone else. Joseph Campbell, life is without meaning. You bring the meaning to it. Is this really 
the truth? Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The light is within me. I am the truth. I am the way of salvation. We make judgments out of our blindness and our self-orientation. And Jesus stands up in the midst of human history and speaks spiritual light into existence. He reminds his listeners that he is the I am, the God of all things and the one path to life. He reminds us that he is not here to give us a list of accomplishments in order to gain that life, nor is he here to tickle our ears and tell us that we have our own light within us. No, he alone is the light of the world, and our life is found in him. As the scene ends, St. John again uses a word that has a double meaning. Jesus tells the people that they'll know who he is when they've lifted him up, when they've exalted him. A word that sounds like worship. And in one sense, that's true. We, we will not understand Jesus rightly until we place him at the center of our lives and remove ourselves from that place of worship. But what Jesus is, is really saying is that the people will not understand who he is until they have lifted him up on the cross to die. So how will his death help a dark world understand him? Well, in one sense, Christ's death and resurrection is that corroboration that the Pharisees were looking for. When God the Father raises Christ from the dead, that is him saying, this is my son. Everything he told you is true. In him is life and light. But in another sense, it was in the death of Christ that the power of darkness has been defeated. It is in his death that we are allowed to have the blindness stripped away from us, to be healed. Death and darkness have been repealed because Jesus Christ has come and died and defeated those powers, and his death speaks to who he is, the kind of king that he is, the kind of God that he is. He's a generous king and a humble God, selfless, kind, and giving mercy to thousands and thousands and thousands. As we try to understand the meaning of his advent, his coming into this world, as we try to to grab a hold of something lasting and meaningful in this season, we have to see it through the lens of Easter, through the lens of Christ's passion. It is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that John can write at the beginning of his gospel that the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. And as we've already heard, we light these candles to remind us that that light has entered the world. Perhaps this morning you would say that my eyes haven't been opened to this light yet. I hear some of the things you're saying, but I don't really get it. I still need corroboration, and I'm still really confused about who Jesus is. If that's the case, we're so glad that you're here. And I just I want to say, as an individual, I'm not up here because of my moral record, my spiritual prowess, my intellectual abilities. I simply stand up here as a blind man who, by the grace of God, has had his eyes opened to my own death, my own darkness, and to the light and life of Jesus. And as a church, if you're still questioning, as a church, we won't pretend to have all of the answers to each question you have. We are here because we want to introduce you to Jesus.
And if you have more questions about that, please come and find me. Talk to Brian. Talk to one of our leaders. We'd love to talk here or grab some lunch and help address some of those questions. But perhaps this morning you would say, I get it. I get that I was blind. I've seen the light of Christ. His life has entered me. I've encountered Jesus. But as I look around at my family or my community, when I see my city and my world and my own heart, I see so much darkness. And it feels like I might get swallowed up by it. If that's where you're at this morning, I don't have a 12-step program. I don't have therapeutic suggestions to help us cope with the darkness that we all feel at different times. But I can tell you this. This is why we gather here. We gather here each week, and we go through the most bizarre rituals in the world. Do you know how weird preaching is? It's really weird. We come over to this table, and we call it a meal. It's a little bite of bread dipped in some wine. This is so strange, and yet what we're doing is we're acknowledging the fact that our world and our hearts dwell in darkness, and we need to hear the words, let there be light, spoken into our hearts. God speaks these things to us in his word. He speaks them to us in the sacraments. In the word, we hear the voice of Jesus bidding our blindness leave. And in this table, we hear the voice of Jesus reminding us that his death has brought us life. As we think about the advent of Christ, his breaking forth into our world to bring life and light, if you're a Christian this morning, then you have been called to reflect that light, to reflect it in a dark world, in a dark city, that is stumbling around with addiction and sexual brokenness. And perhaps, whether it's the darkness of your family, your own heart, or the darkness you see in the city, perhaps you're feeling a little overwhelmed. How could I possibly shine light into this place? I think N.T. Wright has has said it best. He said that the powers that rule the world are still powerful. And they need to be reminded of their defeat by Christ on the cross. And it is only as we are energized as baptized people and equipped as Eucharistic people, people of the table, that we are then able to go calmly and confidently into the arena of the struggle, whatever it may be. My friends, Jesus, the light has entered the world and the darkness has not overcome it. May the face of Jesus shine upon you this season, and may he bring light to your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, your claims are so exclusive, and yet you are so open and welcoming to all. You are so welcoming to us that you have not waited for us to come to you. You have come to us. You came as a baby And you came to give up your life so that we might all have light and see you for who you truly are. As we come to your table in a few moments, would you feed us? Would you shine brightly in our hearts that we might shine in this dark world? Amen.